good week. Yeah? Good. We'll forget about that because that's in the past. Are you looking forward to a good week? Excellent. We'll forget about that for the minute as well because we're here not to think about what's been or what's to come, but about now. We're here to worship together corporately our God, our loving God, our creator God, the man who says we can come and say our Father in heaven. Isn't that great? So let's forget all about the busyness of what's been and what's to come, even if it's good things to come. Let's just think about now and about our creator God. Going to start off here with a, a psalm, Psalm 108. My heart, O God, is steadfast. Your heart's steadfast. I will sing and make music with all my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love, higher than the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let, let your glory be over all the earth. I'll tell you what, just to get a double dose of it, I'll read it from the message, a modern translation of it. I'm ready, God, so ready, ready from head to toe, ready to sing. Are you ready to sing? Ready to raise a God song. Wake up, soul, wake up, lute. Wake up, you sleepyhead son. I'm thanking you, God, out in the streets, singing your praises in town and country. The deeper your love, the higher it goes. Every cloud's a flag to your faithfulness. Soar high in the skies, O oh God. Cover the whole earth with your glory. So we're going to join in music and, and do that, but let's just first come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to come before you this morning, to come before the creator God, the God of every grain of sand on the beaches, every star in the sky in the entire universe. The God who looked down and said, I love you. I love you so much that I'm giving you my son. We thank you and we praise you, Father, for that. And we just ask that during this next hour or so, you'll help us to lift our hearts and our souls in praise to you, to not be distracted by all the busyness of life, but just to be able to praise you. Father, come and inhabit our praises. May your spirit rest upon this place and upon each heart this morning. Amen. Okay. Our Bible reading today is from Matthew 13, verses 1 to 23. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into the boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, 
a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given, sorry, whoever has will be given more, and they will be, they'll have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away, what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have not root, they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth 
choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Thank you, Dorcas. It's good. Uh, it's nice and clear. I'd like to invite uh, Bob back up again. He's going to speak to us, but first we'll just pray with him. So we just bow our heads. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for our, our friend Bob who's, who's come to us today. And Father, we just pray that you will really anoint his words, that you'll anoint his thoughts, and that as he speaks, you'll anoint our hearts, that we might hear you speaking through Bob to us. Father, we just pray that our hearts might be good soil and that indeed there will be a crop from today's word. Amen. I understand you've been looking at the, uh, the parable, parable of the sower for some weeks, uh, and I think I've got the climax tonight, the good soil, and, um, or this, uh, this, this morning. And, um, and so, yes, I, I really do pray that we're going to grapple with this. It's, it's, a, it's a very deep parable, and this one, it's well worth spending time on. Um, <coughs> and you will remember that in the parable, I suppose I've got memories, and probably you have as well from childhood, the picture of the, of the sower with the bag round his, uh, over his shoulder and his hand dipping in and spraying the, the, the seed everywhere. I mean, have you got those pictures in, in your mind? Um, and, of course, we've got a, here, we've got a, a picture here of a, of a farmer. I guess modern farmers wouldn't be very pleased with that, would they? They wouldn't like to lose their seed on the path and in the thorns and in the rocks. Um, but this, we've got four different types of soil. And, and today we're going to be looking particularly at, at the at the good soil, the soil that actually did produce a crop. It says, it says in the word, some fell on the path and was eaten by birds, so it produced no crop. Some fell on rocky ground where there was not much soil, and so when the sun shone, the young plants withered and died. Some seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the seed. Some seed fell on the good soil, and I guess we have to hope most of the seed fell on the good soil, which grew strongly and produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. <coughs> and that's what we're focusing today. Now, the first thing I think you've got to notice today is that only one type of soil produced a crop. The good soil is the only soil that produced the crop. The rest disappeared. It had no, to no effect at all. The path, the rocky ground, and the thorns all killed the seed, and nothing, nothing is produced. It's only the good soil that produces a crop. And the second thing, of course, we have to bear in mind that, uh, is that, that Jesus was not a farmer. Um, and that wasn't the intention 
he was telling of, of, of he wasn't trying to be a farmer he was telling the parable for a purpose uh, that was not agricultural and indeed towards the end of the passage passage that Dorcas just read to us we we read Jesus explanation of that passage the seeds sown on the path represents the person who hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches the message away that was sown in his heart that's the first that's the seed on the path the seed sown on the rocky ground represents the person who receives the word with joy but it has no root and when trouble or persecution come because of the of the commitment to Jesus his or her interest in, in following Jesus rapidly declines. The seed sown among the thorns represents the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and make it unfruitful. It's just worth noticing what Jesus is saying here that makes us unfruitful. First, he speaks about the devil. Make no mistake, there is a power of evil at work amongst us and he will harass you and make you unfruitful if you let him. You need to call on the power of Jesus if you sense his work in your life. Remember, Jesus is Lord. The devil will want to make you forget that important point. Secondly, Jesus speaks of troubles and persecution. Now, people around the world are losing their jobs, being mocked, being murdered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And this is not just in Iran, in North Korea, in China. We have a very sad example at the moment uh, <coughs> in, in Britain. Kate Forbes a highly talented member of the Scottish Parliament who is a candidate to replace Nicola Sturgeon as First Minister in Scotland, is being persecuted for her Christian faith. Because her views differ from the majority uh, in the Scottish Parliament, she is being persecuted, particularly, of course, on, the, on issues of marriage and transgender transgender she is being told to change her beliefs that's actually what's happening at the moment uh, and she's had been had a very very rough week on that particular subject you may remember as well the leader of the liberal democrats uh, tim farron lost his job as leader because he was a christian and had strong views in some of these in some of these areas Persecution is not something that just happens a long way away. It's creeping into our land now. The third reason Jesus gives us is worry and the desire for wealth and material things. Jesus puts it very bluntly in Matthew 6:24. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. When money and material things take a higher priority in our lives than God, we are in trouble, and it will certainly have a big effect on our fruitfulness. 
on the crop that we might produce. Which leads us to the main focus for today, the seed that falls on good soil, the only soil that produces a crop and a very good one at that. Those who understand is the way that Jesus puts it. He doesn't spell it out in great detail. It's those who understand God's plan that we produce a good crop. Those who leave their old life behind and live for Jesus will be massively fruitful. Now, of course, we have to recognize this is not automatic. Committing our lives to Jesus is not adding Jesus to our previous life. It involves radical change. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to become a missionary to some far-flung corner of the, of, the, the, of the world, become a minister in the church, or run a Christian charity or any other grand plan. First and foremost, it involves a radical change in attitude. It involves putting Jesus first in all aspects of our lives. It involves making Jesus the number one relationship in our life. And it involves a level of obedience which we may never have experienced in our life before. These are some of the things that we need to look at if we want to have a, a, a crop, a hundredfold crop in our lives. It's interesting, you know, in, in society today, obedience uh, is not fashionable. Obedience is not fashionable at all. Doing your own thing is what is fashionable. In fact, one of the main things that Jesus frees us from is that desire in our hearts to do our own thing. The life in all its fullness that Jesus offers us is not found by doing our own thing. It's found by rebuilding our lives around Jesus, making him our Lord and Savior, becoming good soil, which he can use to his glory. And something else that we need to grasp is that there's no need to be super intelligent, have a university degree, or great social skills, or great organization abilities to produce good soil. Jesus will use the abilities that we have, certainly, and of course, add the spiritual gifts we might need. Jesus' intention for each of us is to produce a good crop, and the effectiveness of our crop will depend far more on our obedience to Jesus than our own natural abilities. This is important. God, of course, will use our natural abilities, but it is our obedience that is key to our fruitfulness. Jesus sees the beginning from the end. We don't. If God is God, we have to take him seriously. We cannot just slot him in our worldly lifestyle or go for the easy life. Now, I had my 74th <coughs> birthday recently, very recently, uh, and I'm not retiring. Well, I have retired, but I'm not totally retiring from the ministry. I'm, um, 
this, this is, I, you know, I want to be fruitful. I want to be fruitful. I'm excited about what the future holds because with Jesus, I have a future. With Jesus, you have a future in this world and indeed uh, in, in, in the next. I have to admit, I am getting old. My body doesn't work as well as it used to. Um, my memory is certainly not as good as it was. Uh, I get more tired. My brain is slower than it used to be. And I'm aware of all these things in my life. But in Jesus, I have a future. And that is not the problem. I have the gift of eternal life, which is wonderful, but I also want to be more fruitful in my remaining years on this earth. As I look back on my life, I see my main problem. We've talked about all these things. It's always good to reflect on your own life. My main problem was the thorns. I tried to add Jesus to the life I lived before I was a Christian. I did not give him the priority in my life that he requires. And I am still committing myself to put that right. I wanted to follow the narrow path that Jesus had set for us. But I actually really wanted to add him in to my lifestyle, my worldly lifestyle, rather than to focus and build a new life around Jesus. That resonate with any of you? I mean, you know, it's not it sound when the way Jesus tells us it sounds so easy, but when you look at the complexities of life uh, and the fact that we are fallen people, it was never quite so. It's never quite so straightforward. Becoming a Christian requires a radical turning to a new life in Christ. If we want to be good soil for Jesus, it requires that wholehearted commitment, and we are promised that wholehearted commitment to Jesus leads to a large crop. And that is Jesus' intention for his people. You may remember Paul's words to the Ephesians. We are God's workmanship, created to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. You got that? That's not just some Christians, that's all Christians. We are God's workmanship, created to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Now, if you leave the church today at the end of this and you say, ah, oh, that was interesting. Then you would be very like the crowds that, that went to, to hear Jesus. They went and they were amazed. He was a great storyteller. They were transfixed by what they heard. But Jesus' comment about them was quite simply, they did not understand. They did not understand. They were fascinated by him but they didn't understand. There must be in us a desire to be good soil. And being good soil does not come naturally to any of us. 
We need Jesus to work in our lives to become good soil. There's also something else interesting in this passage, you know. There is no, Jesus does not give us a formula as to how to become good soil. There's no sort of simple description there of what we need to do. In fact, you know, if you're going to pass an exam or find a good job, there are generally accepted things that you can do. Study hard, attend the lectures, research what it's all about, take some advice. But becoming good soil, Jesus never quite spells it out. That is rather different. In what we heard today, nowhere does Jesus spell it out. Jesus points out that the disciples were good soil. He lets that on with that. But he also, interestingly, and quite soberingly, says the crowds were not good soil. He doesn't describe, but he actually tells the groups that actually qualify and those that do not. They did not understand that the seed that fell on the path or fell again amongst the rocks or amongst the thistles actually referred to them is the crowds. They did not understand that there was and is a power of evil at work, a power of evil that snatches away God's word before it has any effect on our lives. A power of evil that drops the thought into your mind, I, have, I was never mocked or persecuted before I became a Christian. This Christian life is just too painful. Or maybe, in your case and my case, simply the worries of this world or the desire for wealth that takes all your attention and squeezes God out of you, squeezes out God and his word. You see, being good soil requires a total change in lifestyle. It requires putting God first in all things. I have to confess that when I first became a Christian, as I've mentioned, I tried to add Jesus to my already full schedule. And it did not work because Jesus got squeezed out. And there are still times now when he gets squeezed out. The difference now, however, is that my eyes <coughs> have been opened by Jesus and I can do something about it. He has given me repentance Sins can be forgiven. Wonderful. And he is helping me overcome my weaknesses. But it is a good point to make that nowhere in the parable does Jesus actually explain how we become good soil. He simply recognizes that some people are and some people are not. And I guess we can be left with the feeling that some people have got it and some people have not. It's not very encouraging if you're just considering becoming a Christian. We can be left with the thought that perhaps Jesus maybe hasn't chosen me. Perhaps he's chosen you over there, but he hasn't chosen me. And as I reflected on that, I was reminded <coughs> of the Gentile woman who pleaded with Jesus. And I'm going to read the passage to you. A bit further on in Matthew, this is Matthew 15, 21 to 28. <coughs> and it's a story of the faith of the Canaanite woman. 
Leaving this place, Jesus withdrew to the, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from the vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered the woman, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. I don't think we dare to say that today. Um, but that's the words that Jesus is quoted here. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall under the master's table. That was the woman's response. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The point that I want to make <coughs> is that we are not left helpless. Jesus came to this earth for all people. Of course, Paul was the key apostle that took the gospel to the Gentiles. When Jesus was on earth, his focus was the people of Israel. But this Gentile woman's great faith <coughs> caused him to change his plans and heal her daughter. And I would just say, point that point to you today. If you want that relationship with Jesus that will enable you to become good soil, then knock on his door. Keep knocking until you get an answer. Remember his promise from Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. If doubts fall into your mind, keep knocking on Jesus' door. He will. He will respond. It's only with the help of Jesus that any of us can become good soil. None of us have it in us to become good soil without him. All of us are infected by the sin of Adam, and, the only, and only Jesus can put that right. If we are genuine in our request, he will answer. It is a close relationship with Jesus and an obedient heart that provides the good soil we all need. There is no other way. This passage today is primarily about God's challenge to make that wholehearted commitment so that we will become good soil. But for those of us who are already um, Christians, it's also a challenge, I think, to look at the quality uh, of our discipleship. Are there areas in our lives where we are keeping Jesus out? There's a, a wonderful quote of John Wesley, the great 18th century evangelist and, and founder of the Methodist Church. 
he simply said, um, he said, the last part of a person <coughs> to be converted is his or her wallet. Again, coming back to the subject of, of money, but there's a deep truth in there. When we become Christians, we don't get rid of all the baggage that's there, that been, been there before us. We have to be aware of it and have to deal with it. Uh, and um, <coughs> I think Wesley had a, a really key point there. I believe, and I actually do believe that money, I think, is a particular challenge to us in the, in quotes, affluent West. Money seems to answer so many of our problems that it's very easy for money to slip into third place and push Jesus down to second or further down the list. <coughs> there are, of course, many other areas um, <coughs> in our lives which can inhibit God's crop in our churches. Uh, unforgiveness and resentment is another key area I think we need to keep a constant eye on. The word of God is given us to guide us in the ways of God. This passage, I believe, challenges us <coughs> to ask the question, am I putting limits on what I allow God to do in my life? Am I putting limits on what I allow God to do in my life? <coughs> Never forget, never forget that he will not force you to do what you're unwilling to do. We have got free will, <coughs> and God honors the free will that we have been given. But of course, any disobedience on our part <coughs> will limit the crop that God wants to produce in our lives. Now, it's not good to finish a sermon on a downbeat, um, <coughs> but it is true. We cannot play games with God. It's also true that the greatest joy in life comes from a wholehearted commitment to Jesus. It's also true, <coughs> oh, in, in a world of shifting sand, Jesus is the rock on which we can safely build our lives. <clears throat> I spoke earlier um, of my confidence in the future. On Jesus, I stake my future with great confidence in this world and in the world to come. Now, I'm also looking to be more fruitful, not less, as I get older. Because although things are wearing out in me, what I do have is 40-odd years, in my case, experience of Jesus. And that is something that's very valuable to me, and I think to others, people that I, that I, I can speak to. So, many of us here are past the first flush of youth, aren't we? But um, I would just challenge you. Have you given up? on your walk with you, not on your walk with Jesus, on your fruitfulness? Have you reached the point where you're saying, oh, well, I'll let others do it now. I'm too old. I want to challenge that thought. 
while you're alive on this earth, God has purposes for you. He wants you to be good soil. And only when you, and only when we pass to the next will that cease to be the case. So I, I want to leave that challenge with you, particularly the older ones here who are thinking of passing it over to the younger ones to, to do things. Now, there are things we can't do when we get older, and I recognize that, but there are things we can do, and we've got experience that can be a real blessing to some of the younger people around us. Let's just be quiet a moment. Lord, we just want to thank you today for your word. And that that simple word that Jesus made there, that we might understand it. And I just pray, Lord, that our hearts and our minds may be open and we may understand the plans that you have for us at this time of our lives. However old we are, however talented we are, Lord, I thank you that you have purposes for each person. And I pray today that by your spirit, you will pour out, indeed, your spirit upon each of us, putting a conviction in our hearts as to what it is you want us to do today for Jesus at this place of Swanley and beyond. So, Lord, just pour out your spirit because it's only through you that we can see can we can achieve anything worthwhile. And I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>